Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. I'm Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles, recording out of Awesome Inc. Um, we had an awesome lunch today, didn't we? Oh man, had dads uh, yesterday, and today and they got on Instagram today, and they had some kind of what was it called? A pulled, uh, it was a dipper, pulled pork. It was a um, we dipped Grippo it. dipper, Grippo dipper, grip dip and dip, grip and dip, grip and dip. Yep. Shout out dads, uh, dip it in some pulled pork with Grippo cheese on there or grippo grippo chips and some cheese and you dip it in beer cheese oh so healthy so delicious if you haven't been to dad's highly recommend it give him a shout out give him a shout out on the podcast here um but enough about what we ate today we just recorded an awesome episode with adam van wingerden yeah. right those those guys right um about horticulture and his his business the silver fern group and what they're doing to uh, build a software company centered around uh, mining and managing data in that industry. And uh, Evan and I hung out a little bit last night, and after I got home around 11, I get a text from from Evan sit, talking about the rabbit hole that he had gone down on it. So why don't you fill us in, uh, let us in the mind of an Evan Knowles as you went down the rabbit hole oh, yeah. of horticulture. What did you it's find like, out? What did you learn? So it's uh, it's about 11.30, and I'm sitting there, uh, and I'm looking into horticulture. I just had no idea what it was. Uh, we had gotten coffee with with Adam prior, but really didn't dig into horticulture at all. We just kind of chatted about ourselves and him, his background. Uh, but really, when I dug into the industry, I realized how big it is. Like the supply chain behind all of the plants that are around your house, the supply chain around all the you know trees and flowers down Main Street of Lexington, mm-hmm. um, around any commercial building. There's like bushes and trees and flowers, and like there's an entire supply chain and all kinds of technologies that go into getting that just there in the ground. Yeah. Um, and so Adam and his team are building software to help manage that process using data and uh, Internet of Things devices, uh, basically to help these these horticulture uh, businesses get the product where they need it uh, efficiently and make sure that they're making money too. Yeah. Um, and it's just a very, you know, legacy old industry. You know, it's farmers and that's... Mm-hmm. The whole ag tech space, as we've had several guests come on and talk about, is you know growing very quickly and it's very yep. behind and it's going to go through big, uh, big transitions going forward, and they're going to be yeah. you know hopefully part of that. One of the videos you sent me on YouTube, one of the wim- the women that were was talking on the video, uh, just kind of called out an obvious thing about how odd a building would look with no plants or landscaping around it, and it's just one of those things where it just flies under my radar of consciousness, and maybe it does for a lot of you guys too. Uh, but when you start noticing these things, start noticing how beautiful Main Street of Lexington, Kentucky is because of all of the landscaping near the buildings and the flowers on the light poles. And then you just think for a second what it would look like if all that was taken away. And then you think on how big of a scale all that's happening because every house wants landscaping and every city needs those those beautiful uh, streets lined with flowers and everything. And I mean, we're talking it's huge greenhouses that are hundreds of acres yeah. big. He showed like, us, a, Adam showed us a think, video uh, and it was really impressive. You think, it's crazy. You know, app harvest is, is huge and they're absolutely huge. Like these yeah. guys are, have a hundred, hundred something acre, yeah. two times the size. It's crazy. App harvest growing shrubs and flowers and stuff. Yeah. Right here in Lexington. I have no idea. Wild big. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was an awesome conversation. Adam is an awesome guy. I can already tell we're going to be uh, close friends with, with him going forward and we're excited to get to know the rest of his team. Uh, he's also got his his brother on the team with him as well as one of actually our our, our mutual friends that we went to school with at Gatton. Um, so we sat here after we recorded for a little bit and just got to know each other and connected like we like to do. And 
Um, it was just really cool. Well, I, he actually sat down and we got coffee and he was like, we want to get connected in Lexington. That's why we reached out to you guys. And that nothing puts a bigger smile on my face than when somebody says something like that to us of, you know, that's our, that's our whole goal is we want to connect people in Lexington and grow this community. Just like, that's why we're here at Awesome Inc. That's why we are close with Awesome Inc. And that's why we do what we do. So again, great conversation. Great guy. Uh, you guys are really going to enjoy this. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here, as usual, and I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, I was up till one o'clock last night uh, telling our guests earlier, went down a total rabbit hole uh, on what we're going to be speaking about today, uh, which is, of course, his company's background, uh, but the horticulture industry. Uh, the horticulture industry, uh, I never realized how big it was. Uh, I never realized there's a supply chain behind all of these plants, you know, I was, I was, Evan and I were, the, yeah, Evan and I were driving around. He's like, just look at all the plants around here. Like these like all have to come from somewhere. There's a supply chain. <laughs> it's just, all not these. Something you know, you just think they just grow out of the ground, but no, they're growing like a big grow yeah. facility. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so I went down a total rabbit hole last night. So I'm so excited to actually sit down and go on the details. Uh, I'm going to say his first name. I'm going to let him say his second, his uh, last name. Cause he told us before this, but I, I know I'm just going to Van Wing mess it up. It sounds like it's, it looks, but I'm still going to mess it up. But his first name's Adam. Got that part. Yep. <laughs> uh, and the last name is Van Wingerden. Van Wingerden. All right, good. And you are the co-founder of the Silver Fern Group. You got it. And you have uh, two other co-founders, right? Yep. So My... we're just here with the uh, the man, Adam. Uh, so we're going to get into, first of all, your, your background here, uh, your background, your education, uh, and your professional career prior to Silver Fern. So start wherever you want, but start where you grew up in your education. Yeah, so I was uh, born on the East Coast born in Delaware. Um, my dad was kind of a serial entrepreneur of sorts, had a bunch of different ventures. Um, he actually owned a greenhouse down there um, and ended up selling that. And we moved to New Zealand. So wow. I grew up in New Zealand, my childhood, that's where my childhood was. And he owned a few companies there, uh, ended up liquidating some of those, moved over to the West Coast, right outside Sacramento. Uh, kind of bounced around a few different places and then have been in Kentucky for the last, it's going on uh, 10 plus years. What brought you here in the first place? Uh, market. Really, um, my dad and uncle were looking for a good spot to essentially take some of uh, their capital and reinvest into a new greenhouse, Color Point, which I think we'll get yeah. into later. Yep. And that was about 2000. Cool. Uh, and so they ran and operated that for about 20 years. Very cool. Uh, education background? Education, uh, I was homeschooled through all of uh, middle school, high school. We moved so so much, it made sense. And um, the way my parents wanted to do it, we loved it. Uh, and then ended up going to college at a small private Christian liberal arts school in, in Florida, Tampa, Florida, actually. Got my um, Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration with a focus in finance and marketing. Uh, was really close to actually going to law school. Um, I had a uh, kind of a mentor, was an adjunct professor there. Uh, he was an appellate judge in Tampa, did an internship with him. Uh, and then he, uh, last minute, talked me out of going to law school. I was like, hey, you don't want to do this. <laughs> and uh, he sent me back to the family business. 
so looking back, being homeschooled, uh, what are your feelings on it? Enjoy it. Uh, glad you did it. Had some had some reservations. What, what do you think? What do you think about it? Yeah, man, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I think um, you know a lot of people are like, oh, just homeschoolers are so socially awkward. You guys have known me now for a couple of days. Oh, yeah. Total bro, You're pretty yeah. awkward. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think you know awkward parents make awkward children uh, more <laughs> than uh, more than school it's your environment. Yeah, exactly. So no, I loved it. It was really it actually taught at a at a really early age. It kind of taught some self discipline. Uh, my mom definitely taught us up through a certain period. And then I think, uh, you know, the last few years of high school, it's a lot like college. So I went to college and I felt really prepared. Yeah. Uh, definitely was like, hey, you kind of take your learning just like we do now. And as adults, you kind of your learning is your prerogative. Yeah. You know, you can put yourself in positions to learn from others or you can be self-taught. I mean, especially in the I mean, the day and age we live in with the Internet. Right. There's YouTube. so many. Yeah. YouTube. Evan, YouTube books. Evan's a big proponent of. I mean, that kind of learning. yeah, Evan was up to 1am learning, right? Evan? Yeah, yeah. Man. <laughs> I love it. Once I get it, once I get on a topic and I get on YouTube and then I start reading articles and I get on, you know, company websites, I, I dig in as much as I can. Uh, I just can't, yeah. can't really cut it off. Yeah. So but, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Speaking of, of digging in and going down this rabbit hole, uh, let's, let's start this rabbit hole at talking about the supply chain from, from like seed until actual plant that we see in this landscape. That's all around us because it's it's literally it's everywhere. Like well, landscaping is. Yeah, but I'd say before that, what what is what is what is horticulture uh, and okay. how big yeah. is, is this whole industry? Even better. Yeah, so horticulture, um, I guess, is a, is a fancy word for just growing things, essentially, right? The cultivation mm-hmm. of things. Um, it would fall under agriculture, so agricultural at large, uh, and then you have horticulture that kind of, kind of falls underneath that, uh, and then underneath agriculture, you have things like um, arboriculture. Uh, floriculture, uh, you know, the growing of trees and shrubs and floriculture, specifically flowers. Uh, so essentially, you know, horticulture is just a fancy word for the process of cultivation and the process of growing. Um, yeah, so there's not, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good size industry from the standpoint, if you look at the green industry at large, you know, you guys mentioned landscaping, uh, looking at that, the green, it's probably 300 plus billion um, so it's a, it's a decent size. Yeah. Um, but if you take horticulture within its, it's kind of in a sector of just greenhousing, uh, cultivation there, it can be, it's a little bit smaller when you omit some of the other things like landscape and stuff. So yeah. What, what is, this is just a total out of the blue random question. What's, what's the margin look like on a plant? The margins, margins are thin. <laughs> yes. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I well, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people want to, you know, we obviously in the tech space, uh, within this industry, we talked to a lot of guys who want to do a lot of like machine learning or just AI stuff. And it's, you know, we even experimented a lot with it on uh, my brother specifically related to RFID technology mm-hmm. with plants. Um, and it just, you can't justify putting some of that investment into a plant that you're going to buy a, you know, a little pack at Lowe's for $1.98. Yeah. Well, you want to slap a $1 RFID tag on it. Doesn't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but margins have really just come down over the years uh, when it first when the industry was first really getting industrialized, um, and this is probably going on 30, 50 years ago when Kmart came around and they had uh, essentially garden centers. They were the first ones. Um, margins were still pretty good. Uh, and then over the years, you know, with just everything that's happened and, and big box retailers getting involved um, and trying to pass on that value to the end consumer, margins have just gotten a lot smaller. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you have some unique family background. So I want to dig into this because it, it's part of your story, right? It's it's what's going to set 
it's one of the things that's going to set you guys apart, your company. Talk about, you know, that, that family history and why that's important. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. It's, you know, I feel really, really fortunate for the family that I've, uh, that I've been born into, um, my Opa. Um, so my grandfather, it's the Dutch word for grandpa. Uh, he came to the United States, uh, in the 1940s, I think. Um, and essentially came with like six bucks in his pocket, had like three or four kids. They lived in a chicken coop in New Jersey. Um, and I think he used that money to like buy, uh, like potato seeds or something. I can't remember or spuds. I'm not sure what the correct vernacular (laughs) is there, but, uh, and then I think, and, and he started pretty much selling stuff on the side of the road. Um, and then from there, just, he kind of used, he bought, if I remember the story correctly, he bought some land in New Jersey that was, uh, it was like, re, it was like flooded. Um, and so it was kind of useless land mm-hmm. and he got it for really cheap. Um, and then Netherlands, of course, you know, 35% of the nation is like reclaimed land. So it's yep. all dammed up. Yep. So then he kind of just leveraged his knowledge and expertise that he learned in Holland and pretty much dammed up the land stand up the water so he could actually grow things on that land. Uh, and then from there, it just kind of snowballed into, he had 16 kids, 12 boys, four girls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My Oma was basically pregnant for 20 years of her life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, 12 boys, four girls. I mean, essentially every single one of them, all the boys are involved in the industry in some form or fashion, whether it's, uh, building greenhouses, owning greenhouses, uh, you know, providing equipment for the greenhouses, you know, they're involved in the supply chain of, in some form or fashion, as well as the, uh, uh, the, the brother-in-laws, uh, the ones that married in. So it's, it's definitely a family affair. We get often called the Dutch mafia, um, within the <laughs> so industry. <cool. laughs> so it's, it's fun. And it's really fortunate because I've just, I've, I feel majorly blessed because I've been able to learn, um, learn some really cool and really smart people. Uh, my dad, uh, my uncles, um, it's been awesome. So got that strong last name too. Very strong last name. Yeah. It's typically if I bump, I don't really bump in anybody with the last name Van Wingerden, but if I hear anyone with the last name Van Wingerden, I'm probably related. Yeah. All Um, right. So I tried jumping ahead there. I I was a little too far ahead on the notes we just had. Um, but let's start this going down the rabbit hole that I think Evan went down a little bit last night of talking about what the supply chain looks like from the seed that you put in the ground until we're putting it in front of a building and, and making the building look what well, we take for granted, but making it look nice. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it, it starts essentially at the seed from seed to sell from seed to shelf. So a lot of the, um, a lot of the things you're seeing out there, like I'm actually looking out in the street right now and I see a big, I think that's a petunia basket. You better know this. Come on. Begonia. It's pretty far <laughs> out. My eyesight's good, but not that good. Um, the pink plants out there. Oh, what nailed it. Evan nailed it. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, it all starts with like the seed companies and the genetic companies. Right. So you have a few really big players in the space. You have Ball Seed, Doom and Seed, um, and all, and all those guys, most of those are gr- them growing stock plants in either, um, in uh, Africa, um, in, in South America. Um, and then a lot of them are working on the genetics. So they're doing a lot of different, uh, crossbreeding coming up with new varieties new colors and so that's is there is there a naturally pink is that natural pink or is that genetics no that's a that's a natural pink oh. they get, you can't do you gotta be really careful with uh you know gmo stuff not allowed any genetically modified but um yeah so it starts there uh and then essentially what you have in, in the greenhouse world is the, they're selling to the greenhouses so the greenhouses are doing their procurement so um, if in the greenhouse has a procurement team, they're buying either 
typically the bigger greenhouses are buying seeds directly. They're propagating themselves. So they have a seed sower. Um, essentially, they, have a, they take the little seed, they plant it in a uh, plug tray. Have you ever seen like, a, um, you know, like some refrigerators, they have those little ice cube trays? That's mm-hmm. almost what they look like, yep. except they're, you know, they got 72 little cells there. Um, and they plant the seeds and the, sli- and the seeds become little, little plugs. And then those plugs get transplanted into what we call a finished item. So a finished item would be something like uh, that big basket. That's, that's the finished item it's going to be grown in. Or if you walk through a Lowe's or a Home Depot or a Walmart, uh, typically you see like any kind of, any kind of a, a different arrangements of plastic. You know, hanging baskets, you have planters, you have just packs. And they'll typically get transplanted from those plugs into those uh, finished items. So the building materials are gathered, um, tags, plastic, peat moss, perlite, everything to build that product. And then it gets assembled at the greenhouse during production. Uh, typically, it's always assembled at in completely, so it's assembled out as what we call a saleable item, a finished item, and then that goes out into the greenhouse and it gets grown. So they basically take it from from production, pull out to the greenhouse. You know, all those different plants at different grow times. Sometimes, you know, a basket that big that we're looking at out there that might take, you know, a whole. That's gonna take a whole lot longer than, uh, you know, a little pack you'll buy at Lowe's. It's really small, mm-hmm. um, and then essentially. What you'll have is you'll have certain greenhouses that are selling direct to big box retailers, Lowe's, Walmart, Depot, uh, Whole Foods, Target, all those people. You'll have certain greenhouses that are growing for other greenhouses, so contract growers that are selling then to big box retailers because dealing with people like big box retailers, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. A lot of analytics, just a lot. Um, and then you have some of those smaller Smaller greenhouse grow greenhouse greenhouses will sell to landscapers, which you know, like some of someone like that is probably um, they're probably buying from a local greenhouse. Um, you know, bigger landscaper just go, they buy it, they buy you know every year they'll meet with the, the greenhouse beforehand, decide hey this is how much we want for next season, which is a forecast. They'll grow it, hmm. they'll take it, and then you see it out there. Man, I think you're really starting to build up. Uh, how much actually goes into this and how much tracking actually needs to be done. Um, but before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about this, this color point story that you, you hit on and kind of your introduction. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about what color point is, what, what they're doing there, what your role was there, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. Yeah. So color point was started, uh, in 2000 or 2001. I can't remember the specific date. It was started by my dad and my uncle. They were two of the youngest, uh, boys in, their family. So they were the young, or I think my dad was the youngest and my uncle Art was the third youngest. Um, and they started Color Point 20 years ago, uh, thereabouts. And it started as a seven and a half acres, what they started with, greenhouse in Paris, Kentucky. Um, by the time they sold, which was just last year, they had grown it to about 115 acres of wow. glass greenhouse. So they had a, a greenhouse here out in Paris and they had a greenhouse outside Chicago in Illinois. Uh, we were the seventh largest grower in the United States by square footage and selling to all major national retailers, essentially. Uh, and then we had about 12 other smaller greenhouses that grew for us um, because we had we didn't really have enough uh, greenhouse space to meet our demand. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Very cool. And, you know, this is obviously a great learning experience for you, you know, to grow up with this business being started, to grow up and, and help run it, you know, with your father uh, and your uncle. Uh, and, and build a team around this. 
what were some of the biggest takeaways? Oh man, I I learned that that's honestly if I could, the greatest tool that ColorPoint gave me. Uh, we're just talking about learning earlier is just mm-hmm. the ability to be able to, to soak up and learn so much. You know, I obviously wouldn't be here today having this conversation with you guys if I didn't have the experience that I was able to garner at ColorPoint. Um, and we we did everything at that greenhouse from what since I was seven eight years old. I've you know that ex- even that experience. My dad said I would appreciate it one day. Didn't really think you know being in a smoking hot greenhouse pinching plants or spacing plants would be like I don't know how I'm gonna how this is gonna help me later down the road, but it really did. Yeah. And I think that experience of being able to um, pretty much go through all the all the nuances of what it took to get that plant to a store. Uh, from seed to shelf and be able to now start this tech company and reference back to all those experiences I I was able to go through all the learnings. Uh, And, you know, there was many, I think often my brother and I will talk about those times that we were like, Oh, remember when we had to do that and we had this idea to to make this better. And, and I think that's where it really came from was the idea of wanting to start silver fern came from just being in the greenhouse and seeing all the different improvements that could be made specifically related to uh, technological tools with technology. So, Yeah, makes sense. And you referenced it there, uh, Silver Fern Group. So you had started thinking about these ideas, and that's what led to you wanting to start this. So uh, when did you start it, uh, and what was the moment you said, okay, this is, this is, this is when we need to do this? Yeah, so I think really what happened, um, it kind of starts when we were at Color Point recently in 2017, 2018. Um, we had this idea, both my brother and I did, for a field service merchant app, um, which essentially is tracking merchandisers throughout <laughs> the store, specifically at Walmart. Um, you know, Walmart was making this massive investment into merchandising, which uh, for those who don't know what merchandising is, it's basically walking into a store and making sure all the product is displayed nicely. So they were spending, you know, millions of dollars a year uh, paying for third-party merchandisers to come into the store. And then we had an idea for this app um, that we uh, pitched uh, to Walmart and sold it to them, and they adopted it. And that's when we were really like, that really kind of started kind of sparking our engines. Like, man, there's so much here that we can do. Um, but that was 2017, 2018. We kind of got, kind of started something on the side of ColorPoint when we were there, but with our roles at color point could never really give it the attention it deserved. Mm-hmm. So that kind of just fizzled out. Uh, and then eventually when color point sold, there's two divestures within the cannabis space. Um, so we sold to a now publicly traded company in, um, called red, white and bloom. The Illinois facility went there and then the uh, Kentucky facility was divested to a company called ag tech scientific that was in the hemp space. And I think after that, um, that's really when we decided, hey, this the timing was perfect. We had been talking about it for so long. Um, you know, we started talking with people to build this team together. We really wanted to come to market with some awesome products and an awesome team. And that's kind of what led into the start of Silver Fern. Yeah. Um, well, give us the elevator pitch. Yeah. The elevator pitch at a very high level, I guess, is really we're a full stack tech company providing, um, helping mining data. We call it mine, manage, and monetize. So first we help mine and collect the data. Uh, some greenhouses do it well, some don't. Um, but collect it, then help them manage it, manage all the data to keep it organized. We use a lot of graph databasing for that. And then we help them monetize the data uh, using analytics and software tools. Um, so that's providing everything from mobile apps, IoT devices, um, and software tools. So 
at a very high level, that's that's at the core of what we do. Yeah, I got you. Uh, so the biggest problems you're solving are th- these grow facilities don't have the technology they need to effectively uh, basically run intelligently. Is that how you describe it? You know, forecast, understand what demand is going to be, and then that influences their growing operation. What's the problem you're solving? Yeah, so, you know, and this is obviously, this isn't all growers, um, but a lot of a lot of these growers have partnered with large um, large companies like Sage, Acumatica, NetSuite, you know, all these big accounting packages, ERP systems essentially, that have all these um, value-added resellers, like these little small, you know, they look at this industry and they say, oh, we can service that industry by providing you niche software that helps, that fits within our big package. And the reality is they... They don't always do the greatest job because they don't understand the nuances of growing. So a lot of them don't do a great job with forecasting, don't do a great job with production planning. And so then growers are left um, without the tools to be able to do that really well. And often they're using Excel spreadsheets or they're, you know, just doing it themselves off of, you know, it's the owner who's been in the industry for 30 years and it's a gut feel and he, he knows it really well. And typically, you know, they all know it really well, but we're really providing the tools to be able to do uh, proper forecasting going out and deciding, hey, this is how much I need to grow for next year. And then um, space planning and production planning. Okay, well, how much space is that going to take in my greenhouse? You know, when does it need to be ready? Uh, how, you know, how many do I need? Uh, and then even replenishment from figuring out like, okay, well, we're selling stuff at, uh, at these retailers. When do we send them more plants? How do we analyze all this data that we're getting back from the retailers, you know, via EDI, all the sales data, looking at margins and turns and um, making some of those decisions. Uh, so yeah, that's at a very high level. Those that's the that's the pro, those are the problems, um, or a few examples of the problems that we're really trying to help solve. Yeah, you're going full horizontal. You're not you're not solving one particular problem. You're trying to take care of the whole stack. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. it's it's really looking at like it's not um. Yeah, it's it's more like a mile deep and a mile wide. <laughs> it's yeah. it's you know it's not just saying hey there's one particular thing. It's like no we're we're seeing an array of things that we can help out on. Um, and I think we even get into this later on, on from our discussion, but uh, really providing a, a, a very lightweight software that's easy to integrate, that doesn't, you know, cost a bukus of money to go um, to go into and, and implement it. What's what's your all's beachheads? Like what what is what what is the piece of software that you come into uh, a client and they that's what they want first? Like what you know, it's hard to sell an entire horizontal platform right there's normally like one thing that they say man you know we need this bad and if you have other things that's great but what is what have you guys noticed is like that one thing that people are really craving for that that's kind of your entry point there might not be one maybe it's truly that they need this horizontal solution it's it's honestly evan it's pretty surprising it's like from the people that we've met with it's i would say it's across the board you just get different things yeah different you know different growers have different pain points um and sometimes they'll be like oh man we, we really feel like we have forecasts figured out but we really need help on space planning and production uh, or, hey, we think that we have, um, you know, production figured out, but we really need help with collecting data at our production line. Um, or it's just so I would say it's across the board. I think typically people want to kind of feel us out a little bit. So we really, uh, Count's been a great product that people are interested in. That's just a small IoT device that helps them uh, count their, their inventory coming off of the production line. Um, it's a really, you know, low entry level product that doesn't cost a ton of money and kind of lets them get familiar with us and us get familiar with them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you got, you've got, you've almost got to have those, those products early. If you start too broad, uh, people will get a little bit confused and even your team will get confused, but 
you know, if you have that one thing, you know, you're, you're killing and you that people want it and they keep coming back for it. Then. Yeah. And I really do think, uh, either software goes, um, produce restock and analyze really cover a huge basis cover like the 90% of what people are looking for needing, um, helping replenishment, which is deciding, um, what to send to the store. And then where we're different from, from most people is helping them figure out what to get to the store in the most operationally efficient way. And I don't want to go into too many details of this because I don't think your listeners would be really excited to hear the nuances of the software and how it works. But, um, and then produce, uh, production planning and space planning is often a pain point for growers. Yeah, when we got coffee, one of the things we talked about was, uh, you know, so many industries where there are systems that a business uses. You know, you have your CRM, you have your ERPs, you have, you know, your data analytics platforms, your visualization. Uh, and one thing I noticed, that, and we talked about this that you guys were doing, is you're trying to come into this, this industry with a more open framework that plugs in easily and integrates with others and is more friendly because uh, this business seems to be behind there. Is that is that true? Is that one of your all's objectives is to come in here and be a little bit more flexible and nimble and open than some of these other competitors. That's exactly right. You pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Um, and, and that goes even back to kind of our value proposition, some things that before we even started the company, uh, thinking like, hey, how are we differentiating ourselves from the competition uh, that's out there? And then as well, thinking of literally what we thought at Color Point, what are the pain points that that you know decision makers in these companies um, that really, you know, I guess deter them from wanting to make a change or even implement any software. And that's a, the one you hit on is huge. It's, it's the difficulty to integrate and implement. Yeah. That's a challenge. It's like, you know, like a, typically someone comes in and it's a new software they're pitching. And I think I mentioned to you earlier, they, they want you to, they hand you a jackhammer and say, Hey, can you just go jackhammer your entire foundation? And we want to report. It's like, Oh man, that's a, you know, a huge undertaking. Yeah. And we're kind of saying, hey, no, we're, we're comfortable being the bolt-on guys. You know, our integration implementation cost is incredibly low, little to none. And we're saying, hey, you don't pay us until you use the product. And we bolt on uh, to whatever you have going on, and we'll integrate and implement very seamlessly. Uh, and that was a huge, and that's a huge pain point. That was a big pain point for us when we were entertaining um, different potential uh, upgrades to software. And so we wanted to make sure that we... Uh, we're coming in with a software that was going to be easy for growers to be able to learn and integrate. Yeah. Where where'd the name come from? The name. So I said we, we lived in New Zealand for a little bit. Um, their native plant is called a punga. It's a, um, that's the, the Maori term for a silver fern. It's mm-hmm. called a silver fern. So we thought it was kind of cool because it's a, it's a plant, obviously. Um <laughs> But it, it, so it kind of, you know, back to our roots um, at Color Point, as well as it's, uh, it was cool that we lived in New Zealand for a little bit. And um, I don't know, too, it just feels kind of techy. Yeah. Silver, yeah. fern, I don't know. It yeah, just, yeah. it was like, you know, it kind of comes off the tongue. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, that was the reason behind that. That was a fun question, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little lighthearted. Yeah. No, we, you got you to gotta mix it all up, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we already talked about one of the differentiations that you guys are doing is, is open, flexible framework, you know, easy to integrate. Uh, what are some of the other ones that you guys are using to stand out? Well, I really think, um, you know, kind of have a, it's, it's, it's kind of a cheesy tagline when I say it out loud, but it looks good on the website, but by growers, for growers, built by growers, for Domain growers. Domain experience is very important. Exactly. So we really feel just the, so often you, it's really hard to teach developers how to grow or engineers how to grow. Um, we're growers at heart that just so happen to 
when I speak, I'm, I don't code, but all our team does, and it, they're growers at heart, and they understand um, the nuances of growing. So I think that's a huge value proposition that we bring to the marketplace when we go have these conversations with people. We know the lingo, we know the jargon, we know the issues that they're facing, and we've developed our software around those issues. Uh, as well as we're not just a analytics company. We're not, you know, a lot of these guys are coming in with software and they're throwing software at your face saying, hey, here's everything. They're assuming that you already have all of the data, that you've already been collecting it. Mm-hmm. And we said we wanted to start even earlier. We wanted to start with the IoT devices. So I mentioned mine, manage, and monetize earlier, but we want to help mine the data. Then we want to help manage it, so make it accessible to you. Uh, I'm sure there's different power users um, at these facilities, and so you can access all the data from a single endpoint using the graph database um, and then help you monetize, do the analytics and stuff. So I don't know what that would be called, vertically integrated, I guess not, or full stack, but we really we really want to start there. And, and they're not mutually exclusive by any stretch, yeah. um, but it really allows um, us to be able to offer full service, I guess, or offer a full services, I guess. Yeah, so talk a little bit. You kind of hit on it there um, about the state of technology in this industry currently. So you, you kind of said that, you know, they're just throwing these solutions at you and expecting you to be able to mine your own data. So obviously you guys are kind of giving the solution to mining data. But I, I had a theory, and I'd, I'd like to know if it's a good, if it's a true theory or if it's not, that maybe more attention is going towards the ag tech industry that actually produces food for us rather than the ag tech industry that's, you know, out and, and providing landscaping plants. One, is that a true theory? And then two, kind of circle back and head on, on the state of technology in the, in the industry right now. Yeah, I, from what I from what I see, um, just the greenhouse industry. I think you hit on the produce industry, edibles, mm-hmm, um, and especially right. through this COVID season that we've been in. I mean, a lot of these uh, cultivators growing vegetables. I mean, whether it's produce, whether it's vegetable starts to grow your own garden. I mean, they're having massive growth, right? Double digit comps in the industry, and I think you're seeing a, specifically our generation a, a more mindful approach to where your produce is coming from where your even your flowers where things are coming from and so i think the whole greenhouse or just cultivation horticulture agricultural floriculture it's it's kind of an up-and-coming thing uh, i do see that a lot um you know just we're just talking about app harvest just, you know before the podcast started and and the publicity they've been able to get and what they're bringing to central kentucky which is just awesome yeah. but I, you see a lot more you I've personally seen a lot more stories, and I think um, I think it's an up and coming thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to hit on why technology hasn't entered the space that much yet, or why it, I would say it's it's entered the space, but it's it's lagging behind. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is is theory. I remember my microeconomic professor said the three hardest things to do in any business is seasonality, um, weather dependency, and perishable goods. And that literally checks the box. I mean, every single one, right? Mm-hmm. It's incredibly, sales are incredibly weather dependent. I mean, a lot of these guys are doing 70 to 80% of their sales in a 10-week period, right? Incredibly. What, what period is that? Typically spring. Yeah. 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 Very weather dependent um, from the standpoint of, listen, if you get a really bad Saturday, I mean, your mom doesn't want to go shop for flowers on a really bad Saturday or shop for any kind of, you know, outdoor vegetable thing and uh, and then as far as uh, probably the single most difficult thing to deal with is it's a perishable good. You know, that inventory is only available for a certain amount of time. So, you know, you're dealing with retailers and, you know, they're thinking, hey, you know, we buy hammers. Well, we can buy a bunch of a bag of hammers and they sit in inventory for four months and it's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, you basically have that plant 
becomes ready at a certain time, has a certain time it needs to get to the store, has to be taken care of by the store, and then it only has a certain time where it can sell where it's then shrink. So it's a really difficult industry, and I think that's one reason why um, technology hasn't advanced as far as it as much as it has. I think also, um, you know, it's it's been become really small margins too. So investing in technology, especially early on, technology was really expensive. I think it's starting to come down with economies of scale as people get more involved. Um, and then I think also just growers have had a really hard time communicating to engineers and developers um, what they need. Developers developers have had a hard time understanding. Yeah. One, one of the things that we were talking about that connects to this, and this is uh, one thing I've noticed in the real estate industry and same in your industry, is um, I've been kind of fascinated by you know, why do some industries lag behind in technology? And uh, one of the things I've noticed is there's literally a barrier that is that is age. You know, so it's like in order to be great in agriculture, you need a good amount of experience. You need capital to have these big greenhouses. And the people that have the experience that are farmers and have the capital, naturally, they're going to be older just by, by nature most times. Same thing with real estate. Um, the real estate industry, you need capital. Uh, and, and in order to have the amount of capital you you can to really have large portfolios and have multifamily properties, uh, you're going to be older most of the time. And so there's this demographic um, that is aged up above technology. And I'd say the agriculture industry and the real estate industry are in that demographic where they're not focused on technology. Absolutely. And the people that are younger that know about the technology and can innovate don't necessarily have the capital or the experience to be in these industries. Um, and so you and I were talking and we got coffee the other day, you know, I'm starting a company in the real estate industry. You're in the ag, ag tech industry, agriculture industry. And we come in with kind of a unique backgrounds cause we're young. Uh, we probably got into those given spaces much earlier than most people. Right. Um, with our combined tech experience and our, our ability to study technology, understand technology. Um, what, what, you know, what, what would you add to that? Um, that thinking? No, I, I think that's spot on. Um, I think we had talked about, you had mentioned to me, that you, you know, during your research that you noticed that uh, you saw somewhere that 75% of the industry is set to retire in the next few years. Um, and so why is the industry skewed uh, in such that, in that older demographic? Yeah. And I, I would say you just hit on probably the biggest reason why, because the, bar- the economic barriers to entry are so high um, for multiple reasons. One, just the, the CapEx requirement it costs to, to go build greenhouse. If you want to build a greenhouse, it's, you know, it's going to cost you $25 a square foot. I mean, it's not cheap. Um, and so I think, you know, it's in, especially in the hort industry in the ag industry, it's like, Hey, you're going to go spend that much money for a greenhouse. The margins aren't really, they're not like phenomenal. They're not buku margins, you know? Um, and so I think that, yeah, that's a big reason why, uh, the big reason why I think you see a lack of technology, um, and also, I think you, you see uh, a lack of, of younger people going to build greenhouses. I think you had touched on that earlier, but yeah. yeah. Well, and I was just sitting here thinking, you know, how, how do you get an industry to the point where 75% of the industry is going to retire in a couple of years? Yeah. Well, it just comes back to education. There, there must not be people going into the space. Listen, man, yeah, it's completely agree there too it's well i mean you just mentioned it before we even started the podcast like you were and you texted me last night you were blown away you got down this rabbit hole and you were like people super interesting like if i you know who knows maybe i could have been introduced to 
horticulture way earlier. Yeah. And I've always had a fascination with like nature and plants and Big time. architecture. Yeah. Right. Well, I do. And I do think, I do think there's bringing, like, like you said, with app harvest, with guys like Jonathan, I mean, there's definitely a whole, there's definitely a lot more, um, it's coming to the public eye a lot more, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's very slow process for me. I, I grew up in it, so it feels like second nature. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I can't even tell you how many people I've talked to and, and I'm like, well, why don't you come on by? And they roll up to our, and they rolled up to color point and they're just like, what in the world? You know, we were expecting yeah. a few hoop houses and this feels like a, you know, a high tech, you yeah. know, they don't even know what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole of just how under the radar that usually flies now underappreciated it, it is to most people to have beautiful flowers out on the street and like take all this, for for sure. all this landscaping. I mean, think if you were to go down main street, Lexington and take out all the trees and all the flowers and everything that's been perfectly grown and, and cultivated to make our city look beautiful, it would be the most drab looking thing ever, but it's not something that we pay attention to a lot. I mean, some people will definitely stop and say, Oh, this flower is beautiful, but there's a lot of work. There's a lot of time. There's a huge supply chain that goes behind it. Right. And I think that hitting on this is just like, I think this episode will make people stop and think, wow, this is it's, a huge industry that has not been had a lot of attention paid to it yet. It's interesting, too, because there's a lot of different studies done. Um, this industry is actually <laughs> tied back to the real estate industry. It's very much tied to the the home growth. So as homes are being built and as guys like you, me, Logan buy houses, suddenly our interest in plants and in trees and flowers grows as well. Well, yeah, I went and bought some trees and, and plants the other day. I've never done that in my life. Exactly. Yeah. Because you want to plant, you know, so it's I int- want a tree to provide some shade in my backyard or give me privacy, or I want to walk out and see some nice some nice flowers next to my grill. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's funny, and, and as I think that, you know, people are buying houses later and later in life, it honestly is like that's where it's the, the, the younger generation isn't as familiar with, yeah. and I'm just theorizing yeah, yeah. here. No, no, it makes total sense. They don't even think that the industry exists. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and same thing with real estate, probably. You know, nobody's taught real estate. Should you be. either have somebody in the family that yeah. at some point said, okay, real estate investing smart, or you yourself wanted to learn how to invest your money intelligently and you went down the rabbit hole of a real estate. College is not going to have, I mean, colleges do, but they're not going to be like teaching general ed on, on why real estate's important. Well, I, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, as you're speaking, why like, is home equity, why is buying a home and building equity important? Right. You know, that yeah. kind of stuff. You know? Well, and, and even like now we're sitting on a podcast, right. And we were talking at coffee yesterday, the whole idea of, um, digital, uh, digital, digital marketing and, and actually sharing things. And like the whole, I mean, shoot, a lot of people have learned from real estate just by listening to podcasts and getting mm-hmm. on something like that. Yeah. You know, the more, yeah. the most important thing we can do is just be sharing information and learning. And I think, different ways like podcasts like books um your people are able to listen and learn things that they had no idea otherwise existed yeah for sure makes so much sense let's uh let's continue these questions about your uh your company here and then we'll get into some some other parts of this conversation revenue model yeah revenue model it's all it's all software as a service um i think that's that's been happening probably since i don't know late 2000s probably 2006 2008 that yeah. almost 2000. ever yeah, 2001, Salesforce was one of the the first to really get that into the mainstream. And now, I mean, I would think that, like, it, it makes so much sense. It's so much more scalable, um, really, to be able to post updates, publish updates, really have a more of a long-term relationship with your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any kind of software companies nowadays that really even aren't utilizing that model. 
Yeah, no, it's essential. To some extent, yeah. It's. I was talking to a class at UK the other day and just talking about um, data analytics and the beauty of the SaaS model is it's all you can model the entire business. Yep. You know, it's all once you get certain metrics and certain certain formulas and conversion rates and things like that. You know, you, it's basically just plug and play. Uh, you know, formula. Netflix. Yep. Netflix knows exactly how much money they need to invest yep. tomorrow in order to get X amount of revenue six months from now. Yep. They've got it all mapped out. That's the beauty of SaaS. Um, let's see. What's the most difficult sales uh, hurdle that you guys have right now? That's a great question. I, I think I would say um, probably education. Just, just, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the people making the decisions um, at these greenhouses are owner operators, man. And they have to know so much about their business. It's 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 mind blowing. I mean, some of these companies are ranging from, you know, five hundred thousand dollars to five hundred million dollars, and it's shocking that how many of the big decisions are um, still done by the owners. And so I think with these guys having to know so much about their business, uh, a big part of our job, um, or I feel like a big part of my job, is to help just say, hey, this is why it's important. Um, and this is why investing in technology is important. Uh, and, and most of them do know, um, you know, at a very high level they know, but then to get into even more details of the, get into more detail of how technology has evolved, even maybe in the last five years that they haven't known about. Because technology is evolving so fast. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think that's a, you know, a lot of technology companies, a lot of legacy software, it's even been in our industry, and I'm sure it's been, I think we talked about this, they lose their edge. Totally. They're complacent. They like the the margins they're getting. They like the consistent sales, and they're no need to right. No need to innovate. Right. So they have a you know they have a ERP platform system that was built on you know in 1998, and it looks like you know Windows 2000. It's like okay, well there's a there's a ton, you know it's a ton of new stuff. So we're constantly looking at. I mean, upgrading. We're right now going through a process. All of our stuff is done in .NET framework, so it feels very much like Microsoft Office. But you know we're moving everything into web. And doing everything in React and doing mobile apps in React Native, progressive web apps. You know, it's there's so much there's so much there that um, I think I feel responsible to. Hey, I want to I want to make sure we're educating people so they understand uh, the difference. So I think I think that's probably the most difficult thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If I had to pick one thing, yeah. Talk about uh, talk about raising money. Have you guys raised any money? Do you have any plans on raising any money? What's the what's the uh, the update there. So right right now we've just bootstrapped everything. That's so, awesome. Yeah, uh, doing everything ourselves. Um, haven't we kind of talked early on if we need to do like a you know seed series or kind of try to raise some money? But um, I think we want to try to bootstrap this as long as we can, um, and really just have the total control that we that we desire. And yeah. if you know we don't have to, we'd really rather not. Um, but you know down the road, um, get some traction, market fit. Yep, product Put market fit, and I really feel like the, the product market fit is there. I think it's gonna take some time to really get going and, and get some solid traction, but uh, I feel like we kind of kind of have a little snowball rolling. I often compare it to uh, my brother-in-law. He uh, he owns a window washing company, and he washes windows. That's the main bread and butter, right? But he he puts Christmas lights up and cleans gutters on the side too. And I feel like we're putting a lot of Christmas lights up, cleaning a lot of gutters, and it's just a matter of time before. Washing yeah. windows. Hmm. Good analogy there. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing research last night, one of the things I love looking at, anytime I look into a company, uh, especially if I'm thinking about 
you know, if it's a public company that I want to invest in, for one of the first things I look at is team. What, you know, the experience, why are they the right people to solve this problem? Uh, talk about your team because I looked at your team and I really liked it. Uh, you guys have a good amount of experience. You guys, um, you know, it's a family business. Uh, you guys uh, are coming into this with the perspective of technology, uh, and you guys have some amazing uh, advisors. So talk about, you know, how you put this team together. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. That's, pro- that's actually probably like my most favorite thing to talk about. Um, There's pride in that. You know, being able to build a, a good, talented team means you can communicate the vision and they trust you. Yeah. No, I still wonder, you know, Stephen and Kevin, they're both way smarter than me. Um, so, That's a good thing. That's yeah, no, it is. Um, <laughs> Kevin is definitely a smart guy. I knew Kevin before before I even knew about you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, no, I, I think, it, you know, often to, to build a really good team, you know, you have to have the visionary idea person. You have to have the person who's going to implement and integrate those ideas. And you have to have the person that's going to make it reoccur. Um, and I think really we covered all those bases. And that was the biggest thing is like, hey, we're building out a team. You know, I, I could have the greatest vision and idea in the world. But if I don't have, you know, someone like my brother, who I think is the best implementer and integrator I've ever met. If I don't have someone like him, who cares? It's a great idea. It could be the, you know, it could be a billion dollar idea. Can't have someone implement, you know, it doesn't matter. And even if we had someone to implement and integrate, if we don't have someone to keep track of it and make it reoccur, Someone like Kevin, you know, who's just so on top of everything, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be sustainable. Um, so I, I just, I feel so, so humbled, so majorly blessed to have them on my team, um, and then the supporting team too. Uh, just our client partner, uh, Kalen, has got such an amazing experience, such a talented guy, he's willing to do anything, um, and just you know, early on startups got put put on so many different hats. I'm sure you guys have experienced just like, hey, you got to be everything so that times what it feels like so mm-hmm. uh and then with scott um really great developer senior developer out of silicon valley worked at a you know fortune 500 company um linear technologies and uh yeah and then with steve the the advisory piece of just all that experience within the industry and, and pretty much helped develop so much of it and we're now starting to um you know interview junior developers on trying to find some talented people there but I think I remember reading somewhere um, that you spend the first five years of your career spending um, figuring out finding the people you want to work with for the next 50 and I think that really rings true I, I really do think that you know it's it's not really the what it's the who and I think you know as long as you have a good idea if you have the right team that's it Yep. And so I, I really think the strongest asset that we have, we have a great product and we really do, I think, have um, some great things to offer. But really, it's the team that we have. Yep. Uh, so All great points. Absolutely. All right. So one of our favorite things to do as we're closing out the conversation is talk about uh, where you're building the company. So in this case, it's Lexington. Yeah. And I think uh, it really was a cool moment for when we sat down for coffee and we we're like, you guys said, you know, we want to get more involved in the Lexington community. That's why we reached out to you guys. That's exactly what we're trying to do is build this kind of ecosystem here uh, along with Awesome Inc. where we're sitting right now. Um, so talk a little bit about your experience growing a company here and how it's been kind of getting yourself ingrained in this community. Oh, it's been great. Uh, I really I really enjoyed it just meeting people like you guys. Just you know, When we got coffee the other day, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is what we've literally been trying to do is just network with people. Mm-hmm. And just for camaraderie's sake, just for – you know, spitballing. Yeah, spitballing. Yeah, just talking ideas, right? Just you and I sitting there for 
two hours. Yeah, two hours <laughs> talking about. I was going to say twenty minutes, but I guess it was more like two hours. It flew by. It did. Yeah, then but just talking about like all the different uh, synergies even between real estate and horticulture and and the different things. So it's been awesome, man. It, we really feel like there's been so much support. I know a bunch of guys in town um, that I'm really good friends with and. Um, I just feel like it's been, you know, anytime I need to make a call and, hey, do you know this person? Or, hey, can you help find this person? People are just like, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's been really, yeah, if I, I have nothing nothing bad to say about it. I think it's been a great place to start a company. Awesome. Very supportive. Well, rather than something bad to say, how about an area for improvement? Some Something that Lexington could be doing better that you've seen kind of in the early, early stages of growing this company? What are, what are some things to improve? Well, uh, I think specifically related to, I think Awesome Inc.'s doing an awesome job um, really developing talent. I think that's definitely a need, yeah. specifically in the tech space, right? Developing talented engineers. Uh, and so I think, and I think maybe just the overall, I just education and knowledge of the tech space. I mean, it's, you know, this is such a, it's a bourbon industry. It's a horse industry. It's basketball. a manufacturing. It's basketball. It's all these conservative values. Exactly. And so we don't really, I feel like there's not a lot. Um, you know, <laughs> my in-laws live in Bend and you go out there on the West Coast and it's like, hey, tech is just like, oh, cool. It's what culture. Do you, it's culture. It's just part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here it's definitely not. So I think if, I think if anything, it's just what you guys are doing. You're trying to spread the message, spread the word. Hey, there's, there's cool tech startups. There's cool tech companies here in Central Kentucky. Uh, and in Louisville and in Cincy. And I think um, if I had to pick anything that was like where Lexington was lacking, it's just the the knowledge and education around the tech space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the conversation that's happening. That was what, you know, that's why we started built that. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's hard to find. And you, you mentioned this when we got coffee. It's like, it's hard to find people that are just wanting to talk about this stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like, and in order to find those people, ultimately my whole belief is like you got to have scaled digital media um you got to reach people that aren't it's like you we walked into awesome ink here you've never been in awesome ink you're like dude this is awesome like this is an awesome space i love that um yeah but the way you heard about it was you know through not awesome ink but a media company necessarily is that true yeah i think oh i think it was even i think i heard of awesome ink by word of mouth i don't know yeah Yeah. it was just conversation it was conversation conversation, yeah either way you know it's like you gotta you gotta be able to scale the tech culture outside of, you know, this building. Yeah. Awesome. He does an amazing job. Uh, but like there needs to be more people like us trying to, you know, get these mm-hmm. conversations outside of their, yeah. their physical building. Um, so where, where do you want, where is Silver Fern going uh, in the next, you know, let's, you know, this is a good question for some, an investor's going to ask you this probably <laughs> in five years. Uh, where, where's Silver Fern going to be 10 years? The big vision, huh? Yeah. What's the big vision? I think right now I really, it's, I'm, my brain's always turning. I always have so many ideas and the big ideas, the big visions in 10, 15, 50 years where what I want this to be and what we want this to be. Um, I think really trying to focus on the market segment that we're in right now. So over the next five years, I'd really like to focus on the specifically the, the top 100 greenhouses in the United States, really focusing on servicing them really well. Long term, I'd really like to expand in the greener industry at large, um, really start pursuing uh, even in the ag space, um, I would love to take it international. You know, we have some connections in New Zealand, some connections in Australia. I'd really love to kind of expand the reach of of Silver Fern. Uh, and the most important thing, too, is I, I really want to – I know something I value and, and Stephen and Kevin value is we really want a strong, strong, strong culture. 
and that culture is an entrepreneurial culture. I want to value value creation and I want to value time. So, you know, if I hired Logan. I'd say, hey, Logan, here's your job. This is what we expect you to do. I don't care if it takes you 10 hours a week. I don't care if it takes you 40 hours a week or 80 hours a week. You know, just as long as you can get it done, you can get it done. Um, and geographical freedom with that. I don't care if, you know, if you're doing it in Denver, if you're doing it in L.A. Um, and I think we'll probably have a home office, but I really, we really want to have that strong, strong kind of entrepreneurial culture as well as just people who want to live out our values. Um, you know, a lot of people when they're starting a company, maybe I should, shouldn't say a lot of people, but I think it's very tempting just to Google, oh, top values for companies. Yeah. And then just pick a few, yeah. you know. Um, I think I remember listening to Simon Sinek and he was talking about values as verbs, which I loved. I was like, man, yeah, you know, integrity. Great. Well, what is, what is that actually, how do you live that out, right? Yeah. Um, so when we really looked at what our, what our values wanted to, what we wanted them wanted to be was relationships, innovation, and humility. And then how do, what do those look like lived out? Relationships is you listen well, you care about people, you empathize with them, and then you engage with them. But be a good listener. Um, you know, as far as uh, innovation, you're constantly improving, looking at the problem from a different angle. Don't ever settle. Good is never enough. Uh, and then humility. You know, defer a praise, build up your team. And I think those those are our core values. And so when I look at Silver Fern in the next – 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, I have big dreams. I'm not sure exactly uh, where it'll go. But what I hope most is that in 20 years when we're still running this company, that those values will be lived out by the people, by first of all, myself, Steven and Kevin, and by our team and people that work with us. 